Goopney Church. Would you all stand with me for just a moment as I read um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Thank you. Amen. So, Father, I do pray that your word would be clearly proclaimed, that your spirit would accompany the proclamation of your word with great power, that sinners would be drawn to yourself, that, Lord God, you would be high and lifted up. And we plead that you would... You would make good on that promise that if you be lifted up, you would draw all people to yourself. So that in, Lord God, that I'm available to you. Use me, Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. It's good to be here with you all this morning. What an amazing worship experience. Uh, I am just so grateful to be a part of what God is doing. And uh, just yesterday, our family's driving around uh, town and looking at uh, various places to live, thinking that moving from New York uh, to the Bay, we would get a wonderful break uh, financially. And uh, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Um, uh, so what to definitely keep you uh, a reminder you to pray for us. Uh, also, last week I said, um, you know, we're trying to figure out our football allegiances, and so we give you an opportunity to just email me with who you think we should um, give our football allegiances to, and uh, uh, email me at pastorbrian at net. although I got to tell you, I've heard it among some good, credible sources. A couple told me word for word, Pastor, you don't want to be a Raiders fan because your wife will not be safe at the football games. And God has called me to protect my family. So I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, there could be some truth. If some of your biggest friends are Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube, I, I don't, I don't know. But anyways, um, keep us in your prayers on that. We're not new to California. Actually met my wife in Southern California and, uh, uh, we live there. Yes. One person, two people, wherever two or three are gathered in his name. Um, met my wife there and I'll never forget 
the last funeral I did in California before we left in 2001. A member of our ministry, I was serving a church in Pasadena at the church called Lake Avenue, and a member of our ministry was a guy by the name of Malcolm. Malcolm was a young man who was a quadriplegic. He was paralyzed, and he died uh, as a young man, and his death was pretty devastating uh, there to our ministry. His grandmother kindly asked me, I was 28 at the time, uh, would I uh, eulogize and do the funeral of her grandson, Malcolm? And so we had the funeral at a church called Scott's United Methodist Church uh, in uh, Pasadena, right by the Rose Bowl, sits, sits on a busy street called Orange Grove. And here I am, this young minister. Uh, I know I'm going to United Methodist Church, so I brought my vestments with me. And um, I walk in and um, get there to the pastor's study. And this pastor is just this senior statesman of a guy. And he's looking at me, and he's kind of looking at me like I'm some rookie. And he's talking down to me like I work for him or something. And he's barking commands at me as if he's drill sergeant. He's telling me this is what you're going to do and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And when it's all said and done, you're going to do the releasing doves ceremony. Or I don't know what a dove is. And, but he's telling me you're going to do a releasing of the dove ceremony. Now, I don't know what that is, but I know he's looking at me as if I'm some rookie. So I can't let him know that I don't know. So I'm just asking him questions about this releasing of the dull ceremony to get some more clarity and to get some more insight on exactly what a releasing of the dull ceremony. Well, about midway into him explaining it, it hits me. He's, he's talking about doves, <laughs> not dolls. But now we still got a problem because I've never done a releasing of the dove ceremony. I'm fresh out of seminary. Uh, but oh, okay, that's fine. I'm going to be filled with the spirit and the spirit is going to give it to me as I do my first releasing of the dove ceremony. So I walk inside the sanctuary packed out about 500 people. We eulogize Malcolm. Then we go out onto the front lawn of the Scots United Methodist Church for the releasing of the dove ceremony. And man, the spirit is giving it to me. Never done it before. I'm like, this This dove represents Malcolm's spirit to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm like, man, that's good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm rolling and I'm vibing with this thing. And then it comes time to release the dove. Now, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. My wife can bear me witness here. They reach in to get the dove, which is in this brown paper bag that's got written in crayon across it, the word dove. And someone has poked two holes into the brown paper bag so the dove can breathe. They take the dove out, which represents Malcolm's spirit, and it's fluttering above our heads. People are ducking. And in the middle of all this, a hawk jumps on its back and eats the dove. I'm looking at feathers strewn all up and down Orange Grove. There's a collective gasp, y'all, and folk ask me deep theological questions. Pastor, that's Malcolm's spirit, and what do you think the Lord is saying? And is Malcolm in heaven, or is Malcolm in hell? And I'm just, I don't know. Check, please. I'm out of here. Let me get in my car and go home. I don't know what's up with Brother Malcolm. <laughs> Now, 
couple years later, Malcolm's grandmama died, and grandmama's last dying wish was I would do the funeral, so I fly in Memphis, and the grandkids pick me up, and I said to the kids, no disrespect, I don't know how to ask this, did grandmama want a dove to be released at her funeral, too? Hey, that sermon ain't got nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you. I just thought I'd share that story with you. Some of you might be going, why'd you tell us? It had nothing to do with what I'm about to say. I just thought that was a funny story. I was thinking about it this morning, thought I'd, it ain't got nothing to do with what I'm going to say. I just want to share that, that story with you. And some of y'all are confused right now. You're like, man, I, I'm in church. I didn't come here to comedian and that's a funny story. And, but that story ain't got nothing to do with how I'm going to live. Well, actually there is kind of a point to that story. Because just as that story ain't got nothing to do with this sermon or how you're going to live, for many of us, that's how we view the story of the resurrection. It's nice. It's entertaining. Could be mythological. Don't know if it's true or not. But for many of us in this room, and I'm not just talking about some of you who, who would say you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, quite frankly, there are plenty of people who would say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning and you roll out of bed, to be quite honest with many of us as followers of Jesus Christ, resurrection doesn't practically have anything to do with how you'll function tomorrow. We'll spend money the way we want to spend it and... We'll relate to people the way we want to relate to people. But some of us need to be reminded that the resurrection isn't some leasing of the doves story. That the resurrection is everything. That the resurrection has practical, foundational significance. For how we live our lives. If you take the resurrection away, if the resurrection didn't really happen, then that means that Jesus Christ was not just a nice man. He was a liar. So I, I want to I speak to those of us who have gathered here today and we would say, yeah, Jesus Christ, nice man, maybe a prophet, but not really Lord. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus Christ doesn't give us that option. Either he is who he said he was, or he is the biggest lunatic ever. Put him in the same category as David Koresh. Put him in the same category as Jim Jones. Put him in the same category of all these other people. He's just some cult leader. Like David Koresh from Waco, which by the way, David Koresh, anybody who says they're the Messiah, but they're wearing bifocals, he can't be my Messiah. I need you to see. <laughs> so he, he either, this is from C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity. He is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. There's, there's no middle out. In fact, Jesus said in John 11... 
Look at it with me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I love it. Do you believe this? First Corinthians chapter 15. I want to encourage you. Read First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul spends a whole chapter, 58 verses on the resurrection. He is talking about the centrifugal force of the resurrection, how the resurrection is everything. And look at what he says. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The idea of vain is empty. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, life only. We are of all people most pitied. Paul's saying, if the resurrection hadn't happened, I'm the biggest scam artist there is. The resurrection hasn't happened. Why are you in church? If the resurrection hasn't happened, then why is it that so many people who call themselves Jesus are cultural Christians where they sprinkle in just enough Jesus to to make them uh, appealing, but not too much to make them fanatical? Paul in the scriptures tell us over and over again, I love it, I was just reading this morning in 1 Peter, and Peter is saying, we were eyewitnesses to this. If you read 1 John chapter 1, John says, What I have seen with my eyes, what I have heard with my ears. Paul talks about early on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appeared to over 500 people. The great tragedy is in our culture. We will take on faith that George Washington existed, though we had never seen George Washington. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, we need all this proof. The resounding message of the scriptures is he has risen and he has risen indeed. Now, here's a, here's a good question. So what? What does that mean for you who is a barista at Starbucks tomorrow morning? So what? What does that mean for you as you go to Google or Facebook or, or SurveyMonkey? So what? So what does it mean for, for you? Maybe you're at home full time with the kids or, or if you're a student at Stanford or whatever college or university, what does the resurrection, what are the practical implications of it? Our text gives us three. As our story opens up, we're introduced to two ladies, Mary Magdalene and whom Matthew simply calls the other Mary. There are two women who've been following Jesus for quite some time and their lives have been radically rearranged because of this man, the Messiah. 
They've experienced him do incredible things, and they've been following Jesus Christ. Um, One of them has had demons exercised from her. Their lives, again, have been turned upside down. Fundamentally, by the way, this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. If your testimony is pretty much Christ came into my life and maybe tweaked things, maybe rearranged the, but you're still pretty much the same person, I want to encourage you, check out your salvation. For Jesus does not come into our hearts and lives to tweak things or rearrange the furniture. He comes into our lives to blow up the old self and make a radically new self. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has has come. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And this is what happens to these two ladies. Their lives are turned inside out by this man, Jesus. And they hear his preaching. And in his preaching, he talks about tear this temple down and in three days it will be re... He's talking about his death and he's talking about his resurrection and sure enough, Jesus Christ dies on Good Friday. And he's placed into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He's there all night Friday night or all day Saturday, all night Saturday night. And here they are early on a Sunday morning. These ladies have been hanging out with Jesus for years. And Mark tells us, in his telling of this scene, Mark tells us that when these two Marys come, they come with spices. Now let me clarify, because some of y'all might be thinking, did they bring Lowry's to the tomb? No, 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 no. Spices here is not Lowry's. Spices here are things that you use to prepare dead bodies. It is our equivalent of embalming. Now here are these two ladies. Here's the irony. They're, they're coming to the tomb to do a service, to do a duty. It's a nice thing. We want to prepare the body of Jesus. And yet you want to just grab these ladies and go, were you not paying attention to him? They came to the tomb, watch this now, out of duty... But they likewise came to the tomb with no expectation. So they come in duty, but their duty is devoid of expectation. If I could come to your neighborhood real quick, send you a quick text message, maybe walk into your house and put my feet up on your coffee table. The problem with so many Christians is how often do we bring our spices into our service to Jesus? The problem with so many Christians is we are dutiful, but our duty is stripped of any expectation. So that we pray, but so many of us pray, and we pray without what James calls faith. We don't really pray expecting, and we pray these nice, safe prayers. We give. There's no real expectation. It is as if in our service, in our praying, in our giving, we are bringing our embalming fluids to the moment. Tony Evans tells of the time in which he was not too long ago in Columbia, South Carolina. And um, he was scheduled to preach at a large evangelistic crusade at an outdoor stadium where tens of thousands of people were to gather. He was going to give the gospel and, and for months people were praying. 
They're praying that people would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, uh, as the event began to approach, as the time began to approach for this great evangelistic crusade, they were disheartened by what they heard about in the weather reports. It was supposed to rain cats and dogs, thunder and lightning. It was 100% chance this is what was going to happen. And so as the event began to get closer and closer, the organizers for the event just said, no, you know, um, we've been thinking about canceling, but I don't think we're going to cancel. So we're going to go as far as we can go in the event and, you know, we'll just see what happens. And so the night of the event comes and Dr. Tony Evans says he's backstage with a bunch of pastors and, and they, they're just, they're going, man, it's not looking good. It's just really gloomy. And, you know, let's kind of pray. And Dr. Evans says a bunch of them as pastors just gathered hands. And he says, we prayed some safe prayers. You know what a safe prayer is? God, please don't let it rain. But you, you know, if it's not your will, safe prayer. So the emphasis isn't really on expecting a God who said, let there be light and there was light. No, the emphasis is on just kind of protecting my heart. Anybody know what it's like to pray a safe prayer? So Dr. Evans says these pastors prayed this safe prayer. When they were finished, one of the old mothers said, uh, pastors, do you mind if I pray? And this old mother began to call on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she didn't pray no safe prayer. Here's what she prayed. Dr. Evans said, this old mother prayed, now God, we know that it's your will for people to get saved. And you told us, God, that if we ask anything in your name, it will be done for us. So God, we command the clouds to roll away. God, we command that the enemy be rebuked and that the enemy is bound. Dr. Evans said, when that old mother got finished praying, they were shamed. He said, the event came, the clouds hovered over the stadium. And Dr. Evans said, when it came time for me to get up and preach, he says, it was the strangest thing. A strong wind blew and it literally blew those clouds away and not a single drop of rain hit anybody. And thousands of people came to know the Savior because an old mother put her spices down and expected God to move. Listen, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1 says, that same power is available for you. The same power. But the great tragedy is most Christians don't realize the kind of power that is available to them. I remember being a boy going to the circus. And I just remember being, being tripped out as a little boy going to the circus, seeing these huge big old elephants chained to a tiny stake in the ground. It just tripped me out. Huge big old elephants in bondage to a tiny stake in the ground. Don't these elephants know what kind of power they have? Answer, no. Well, how does that happen? How does a huge big old elephant be held in bondage to a tiny stick in the ground. Here's how it happens. When that elephant's a baby, trainer will tie this elephant to that tiny stake in the ground. And that elephant will shake and pull and tug as much as it can. But it can't go anywhere. It doesn't have the strength yet. But when that elephant gets bigger, you all know elephants have incredible memories. 
And that elephant thinks back to that time when it was a baby and it couldn't move. And so that elephant is held in bondage and it doesn't realize the power that it has. And it's held in bondage to tiny, as my grandmom used to call, teeny things because it will not shake, shake free. So many Christians are the same way. The empty tomb gives us power, and yet so many of us live defeated lives. And that's the second thing I want you to see here in our text. As these women get here to the tomb, they've got their spices. They are expected to see a dead Jesus. They get there, and the Bible tells us that an earthquake happens. And the tomb The stone that enclosed the tomb is rolled away. Now, let me just stop right there. That stone was rolled away not because Jesus was trapped inside. Jesus wasn't pacing back and forth inside that tomb, checking his watch, going, I hope Gabriel hurries up. (laughs) Jesus wasn't trapped inside waiting on someone to set him free. But the tomb was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. That stone was rolled away so that these women could see that the tomb was empty, so that the resurrection wasn't ultimately for Jesus, but it was for us. And now that it's been rolled away, the text says that these women see it. And they leave and they run with great fear, yet with great joy. I'll come back to that later. And they start telling people about this empty tomb. And then later on, around about verse 18, Jesus Christ gathers his disciples together. Here is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he gives them what I would call the great commission when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He gives them a mission in life. The question on the table is, what does the resurrection have to do with how I live? Number one, it fills me with expectancy. But number two, it gives me a mission in life. That now, here I have this meta-narrative that transcends dollars and cents. I have a purpose for living. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, there's a show that came out that has been called uh, the greatest sitcom ever. It's called Seinfeld. In the show Seinfeld, it was a cultural phenomenon because in the pilot episode, uh, Jerry Seinfeld is asked the question, what will your show be about? And he, he says, it's going to be about nothing. He wanted to make a show that didn't have a plot that would be much ado about nothing. Cultural anthropologists have reached why this show was so popular and what they have concluded is this show was so popular because this show that didn't have a plot appealed to so many people who were likewise living plotless lives. You know what a plotless life is. Some of us are living those lives. We'll get up tomorrow out of that same old bed and that same old house and jump in that same old shower and put on those same old clothes and sit down at that same old breakfast with that same old family and get in our old car and drive down that same old freeway to go to that same old job and meet with those same old people who get on our last same old nerves and we'll have some meetings with those same old people and the end of that same old day will happen and we'll get back into our same old car, drive back down that same old freeway to go back to that same old house to eat that same old meal, cook 
up by that same old spouse with those same old kids and go to those same old practices and those same old activities and, and go to that bed one more time only to wake up the next same old day to do the same old thing all over again. Dear friend, the resurrection does not offer us the same old, same old. It offers us something alive. It offers us something that supersedes anything this life has to offer. Because he lives, I am free from the same old, same old. I have a purpose. And I have a mission in life. Finally, what does the resurrection offer us? Expectancy. The tomb is empty. And if Jesus Christ can be resurrected, friends, there is nothing in my life that God cannot handle. But two, it offers me a mission in life, a purpose in life. But thirdly and finally, it offers us joy. Look back at the text as we close. Verse 8 says, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, here it is, and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here these women come to the tomb with their spices, they are gloomy, they are melancholy, they are down, and yet because of the empty tomb, their attitude goes to radical metamorphosis. They are now filled with joy. All because of the empty tomb. Friends, the same joy Jesus offers to us. Joy on the one hand, it's, it's the ability to express happiness, but that happiness that we can express is in spite of our happenings. It's not circumstantial. It is divinely inserted that no matter what happens to me in life, there is always a reason for joy because of the empty tomb. If Jesus can conquer the grave, he can conquer my debt, he can conquer my addictions, he can conquer unemployment, he can conquer cancer, he can conquer whatever happens. And because of his conquering power... There is always, always, always a reason for joy that, yes, I may find myself down, but I don't stay down. Amen. Growing up, we used to have a contraption, a little circular contraption called a yo-yo. A little circular contraption with a string, and that string was tethered to a master's hand. And someone with a yo-yo who was really good at it, they could thing down. And with a flick of a finger, it would come back up again. Yo-yos are designed to be thrown down, but never stay down. They always come back up. Someone who's really skilled at a yo-yo, they, they can throw the thing down, and it can even stay down for a little bit. A friend of mine once taught me how to walk the dog. Where you could stay down for a while and walk that thing, but it don't stay down. Because it's in the master's hand, it always comes back up. I came by to tell someone today, you may feel like a yo-yo. You may feel as if life has beaten you down. But if you are in the master's hand, you may be down for a season. But baby, you're coming back up because you are in the master's hand. That just as God raised Jesus up, he will likewise raise us up as well. This, my friend, is the story of the resurrection.
A resurrection that gives us expectancy. A resurrection that gives us a mission, a purpose in life. And a resurrection that fills us with great joy. This is how the resurrection applies to you and I today.